0: So I know if you missed last week, you might be asking yourself, who is that? Um, this is Beth Bess Desta, don't call her Bessie. Um, she is our uh, new music director, and of course she started off with an easy piece from a guy named Beethoven, <laughs> so we're very excited about her. If you didn't get to meet her last week, make sure you come up and introduce yourself to her this week. Um, or quiz her and ask her what your name is uh, from last week, if you did meet her. Um, Of course, Randy's back this week, so I had to rewrite my sermon last night when I found that out. (laughs) Got to take some of those jokes out. And then Garner's asking this morning, where's Garner? He's like, man, why don't you just stand up there and tell jokes the whole time? It is so hard to do that. Like, a stand-up comic is probably one of the hardest jobs in the world. So if I could do it, man, I would. But um, we can't, so we won't. Uh, if you would, please turn with us this morning to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to start today. Of course, like I told you last week, if you were here, you know, Randy had texted me on Sunday morning and said, hey, why don't we switch up to a Father's Day sermon? Uh, so you're going to get that this week. Last week, your Father's Day gift was the, you know, 15-minute sermon. So uh, this is not going to be quite that, I, I don't believe um, but we are going to be looking at um, what is probably a very appropriate uh, Sunday after Father's Day sermon. So, uh, if you would, please stand with me as we read John 14. Uh, we'll be reading John 14, 1 through 11. Uh, and first, let me pray. Uh, Father God, we ask that you would open our eyes this morning to your word. Lord, that you would speak uh, to us that your message would be plain and clear, Lord, that you would be glorified in, in all that goes on in this place. Father, convict us, uh, encourage us, and challenge us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. This is John chapter 14, verses 1 through um, 11 is where we'll be this morning. This is Jesus talking. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. Uh, Please be seated. So last week we talked about um, the union of man and Adam, and how uh, as human beings that we are united to Adam three ways, uh, legally, um, through hereditary, and then personally through our own sin. Um, that we have uh, Adam's sin imputed to us, that, that would be legal, um, that heredit- hereditarily, uh, that we were in Adam as uh, one of our ancestors, as, as our, all of our ancestor, and personally that we ourselves sin. Uh, right along with Adam, so that we are united with him in in three ways. Uh, And this morning, we're going to talk about the union between the Father and the Son. Okay, the Father and the Son, and there are two ways, two mistakes that we can make um, when it comes to thinking about the Father and the Son, and I think these are both uh, pretty common. You'll probably identify uh, a little bit, or at least you've maybe seen uh, one of these mistakes being made. Um, the, The first Mistake that people make in regards to the Father and the Son is that they want the Father, but they don't want the Son. Okay, they they want God the Father, but, but they reject Jesus as his Son. In 1 John chapter 2, it says this, "...who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father." Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. He said, no one who denies the Son has the Father. See, this is one of the common, uh, we look back through the history of the church, one of the common heresies that that was out from the beginning uh, was was this idea that Jesus wasn't, wasn't really God. Okay, that Jesus, Jesus wasn't a part of God the Father. Um, some, of the, some of the ideas being floated around were that Jesus was created, okay, that he was a created being, um, that, or that, that Christ entered into this man, Jesus, uh, after his birth and he departed before his death, or that Jesus became the Christ at his baptism, or that Jesus simply did not exist uh, before his birth. You know, we look at the Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus today and they don't, re- they don't reject God the Father. They know the scriptures and they, they have God's law memorized. They, 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 they think they have a very good idea and picture of who God the Father is. However, it is the Son that they reject. And what was it about Jesus that had them so enraged and what, what made them so upset? Well, he made claims that he was not just the Son of God, but that He was in fact God, that He was equal to the Father. And, and we can say, well, does this still happen today? Um, well, sure it does. In America today, according to the the latest numbers from the Pew Research Center for Reli- Religious Landscape, eighty three percent of people, Americans, would say that they have at least they are at least fairly certain that there is a God. Okay, that's 83%. And if we bump that number up a little bit, an additional 6% say that they believe in God, but they're not really certain at all. So we have about 90% of the people in America that that believe that there's a God of some certainty. However, only 56% of those people believe that Jesus is God. So we have 90% of people that believe that there is a God, and yet... Slightly over half believe that Jesus himself is God. And when we look at the younger generations, the numbers actually get a little bit lower. Uh, the millennial generation, so the 20s and 30s, only about 48% of those would, would say that they believe that Jesus is God. So less than half. Interestingly, 72% of, believe, 72% of people believe in heaven, 58% believe in hell. Okay, so so we have these these numbers that that we want to believe that there is this God the Father. Okay, nine out of ten people would say that with with some level of certainty that they believe there is a God. However, only fifty six people fifty six percent of people would say that Jesus is God. You know, have you ever noticed that following a tragedy, everybody sends out their thoughts and prayers, right? It's it's like the the thing to do. Um, There's a great quote from a writer named David Foster Wallace. And he talks about how there's no such thing as as not really, as not worshiping. He says this. He says, because here's something else that's weird but true. And he was talking to a group of um, uh, college graduates. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. Okay, so everybody, we would say, and, and, and people would even acknowledge that there is some sort of God somewhere out there. You know, we acknowledge that there's some type of higher power. We see um, when bad things happen, everybody uh, falls on their knees. Um, the, the, these words were attributed to um, the Reverend William Cummings, um, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Have you heard that one before? Um, of course, he was stationed out in the Philippines during World War II as, uh, as the Japanese were, uh, were bombing uh, his guys. But there is sort of this the rise in this sort of generic religion. You know, we believe in this uh, higher power. We think that there's a God, especially when things are going bad. Um, you know, we, we like to say things like God loves you, and God bless America, and God we trust. You know, this sort of this civil religion where we have God the Father, but we don't have God the Son. And, and, and to, to me, it's actually understandable to a certain extent. You know, if we think... About Jesus, there's, there's lots of things that Jesus said which maybe I wish he didn't say. You know, don't we wish that Jesus said something along the lines of like, look, everybody just be cool. Or just try to be a good person. Um, you know, we want like the buddy Jesus that gives us the thumbs up and the pat on the back and like, hey man, thanks for trying. Um, and, and instead, the real Jesus said stuff like, take up your cross and follow me. And whoever wants to keep his life will lose it, and the first will be last. And whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Of course, that great one that everybody likes to wash away, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. You know, the real Jesus said these very difficult words that are very challenging to us. But if Jesus wasn't really God, then I can just kind of ignore some of the stuff that he said. You know, I can just pick and choose what what I would like. Um, So the number one mistake is that we want the Father without the Son. I think to to some extent we we may all be there. But but number 2 I think is even more popular than that, right? And you could probably guess where this is. We want the son but not the father. Okay, the number 2 mistake is that people want Jesus the son but they don't want God the father. It's becoming increasingly popular to embrace the words and sometimes even the works of Jesus but to reject the God of the Old Testament. Okay, so modern critics uh, say something along the lines of this: that the Old Testament God is sort of a genocidal maniac. Okay, that if we look at, at God in the Old Testament and we see um, the kind of the conquest of Canaan, and we and we see the way that God directed His people to deal with these other people, that we would get a very poor taste in our mouth of of that God. And so we have people like um, Peter Enns, who's a uh, who's a, a a Bible uh, teacher at Eastern College who, who, who says along the lines of that, that the, denies the, old te- the God of the Old Testament, um, the way that he's revealed himself there, he rejects that God. He denies the existence of hell, but he believes that Jesus died for our sins. You know, so so if, you, if you reject the God of the Old Testament, if you reject that God is, is capable of, of judging and that he is worthy of, um, of fear and honor... You, you deny the existence of a, of a place that people go, uh, that they do not want to be, and yet you believe that Jesus saved you from, from something, right? You know, what did Jesus save me from if, if he didn't save me from, from hell? And so these new arguments, are, are, they're kind of being taken from guys like uh, Richard Dawkins and these neo-atheists. You've probably heard of Richard Dawkins before and Christopher Hitchens. Um, Richard Dawkins wrote in The God Delusion, he said, "...the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction." Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, fil- filicidal, pestilental, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Okay, I'm not going to repeat that because I can't even <laughs> hardly pronounce those words. You know, so is it a surprise that an angry atheist would say something about that, something like that about God? Not really. However, he goes, on this to, he goes on to say this about Jesus. Jesus was a great moral teacher. Somebody as intelligent as Jesus would have been an atheist if he had known what we know today. OK? So we, we take the, the Son, but we remove ourselves from the Father. And so the cool thing to do is embrace Jesus, but to reject God. You know, Jesus was a great moral teacher, but God was either, you know, not real or immoral or unfair or just a big bully, right? That same Pew survey uh, said that nine out of ten ten people believe that Jesus was a real person. So when we have critics arguing uh, against the the divinity of Jesus, they don't even deny the fact that he was a, a real person, And most of them like a lot of the words that they attribute Jesus to have said. You know, people say things like, you know, I hate your religion. I don't really like your God. I can't stand those obnoxious Christians, which we might go, yeah, us too sometimes. Um, However, Jesus, he's cool. You know, let's keep the platitudes but reject the divine. Do you know what almost everyone's favorite saying of Jesus is? Judge not, lest you be judged. You know, every atheist knows that. Every person that doesn't believe in God knows that Jesus said, Judge not, lest you be judged. So we know these great sayings that he said, and yet we, can, we want to take him without taking God. And it's not just even popular culture, but, but other faiths as well. You know, Jews think that Jesus was a good rabbi. Muslims think that Jesus was a prophet. Buddhists think, Buddhists think that Jesus was a great moral teacher. And the Dalai Lama loved Jesus loves all these great words that Jesus said. And we, we like the morals and ethics of Jesus while we reject the God of the Old Testament. And it, it really reveals about us an, an ignorance and an inconsistent reading and usage of Scripture. See, how can we get past what Jesus says himself about the Father and about who he is? If you're still in John 14, look at verse 8 there. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? You still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else... Believe on account of the works themselves. You know, we can almost hear the words of, of, of Dawkins or Enns here in, these, in this question to Philip. Lord, show us the Father, it will be enough for us. And Jesus' answer is, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. If you see the Son, you see the Father. Now, many critical scholars would even reject the fact that John is divinely inspired, and they reject the words in John. However, it's not just in the Gospel of John that we find this. In Matthew and in Luke, Jesus says that all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. So Jesus identifies himself with the Father and He has revealed, as he has revealed himself in the Old Testament. He didn't come to change the law or to challenge the law, but he came to fulfill the law, to do it perfectly. You know, last week we used this quote from Tim Keller, and I'll just kind of share it again. Tim Keller said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Let's just stretch that a little bit. If your Jesus never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself, and you probably aren't worshiping the Jesus as he claimed himself to be. You know, Jesus says that I am the way to the Father. I am the truth. I am the life. He says I, he is the I am, the Yahweh of Exodus, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He affirms the existence of Adam and Eve. He believed in Jonah. These are things that Jesus spoke of in the Gospels. See, if we want to believe that Jesus is a great teacher, we must accept all of these ideas as well. And we can't accept some of the words of Christ without all of them. And famously, C.S. Lewis wrote about this, and I love this, and you've probably heard it before. In Mere Christianity, and this is a kind of a long quote, he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man wise and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool and you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. At another time, Lewis wrote, we may note in passing that he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, and adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. And yet, isn't that what we see today? People kind of were sort of okay with Jesus, and yet here's Lewis saying, look, the people that knew him, they hated him or they were terrified of him or they loved him. There was nobody that just kind of hung around the fringes like, yeah, I'm okay with him a little bit. So we cannot separate the Father and the Son, and we cannot embrace the teachings of Jesus without acknowledging his claims of divinity and his identification with himself, with the God of the Old Testament. We see here that Jesus says the way to the Father is through the Son, as he has revealed himself to be. Jesus did not reject, but in fact he embraced and affirmed and identified with the God of the Old Testament. He embraced and affirmed and identified with it. He did not apologize for the God of the Old Testament. He didn't have to come and say, hey, look, guys, he's really not that bad. You know, I know you read all this bad stuff about him, but really, it, it, it's okay. He's, he's good. So we have, the, we have Jesus united with God the Father. And, and, and in their eternal plan, we'll kind of take it back to last week, that we are united with Adam um, in his sin. And we see that God the Father and God the Son are, are united. They are they are one essence. They are they are one being. Jesus is in the Father. The Father is in the Son. And we come up with this theological term called the covenant of redemption. Okay, the covenant of redemption. How many of you have heard of the covenant of redemption before? A couple people. All right. The covenant of redemption is, it says this, this is a covenant among the persons of the Godhead, okay, the Father and the Son, specifically between the Father and the Son, that God did not become triune at creation or at the incarnation. So he didn't become three persons when Jesus was created. He didn't become three persons at creation. But his triunity is as eternal as his being. He is in essence, one in essence, and three in person from all eternity. Now that there has been and there always will be God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And the point of covenant of redemption, this is from R.C. Sproul, is that the Son comes willingly. He is not coerced by the Father to relinquish his glory and be subjected to humiliation. Rather, he willingly made himself of no reputation. The Father did not strip the Son of his eternal glory, but the Son agreed to lay it aside temporarily for the sake of our salvation. So the covenant of redemption was the plan of the Father and the Son to save humanity before the world was even created. Before Adam and Eve even existed, the plan of the Father and the Son was that the Son would come and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the covenant of redemption. So we see that God the Father and God the Son have been united for eternity. That they are united in essence. They are one in the same. The Son was with the Father in creation. The Father and the Son, they had it under control. Adam and Eve didn't sin and they said, oops, what do we do now? But they had that taken care of from the beginning. And if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to close by turning here. So Colossians chapter 1. To get a fuller view of who this Jesus really was. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15. These are the words of Paul. It's a letter to the Colossians he's talking about Jesus when he says, uh, 1.15, we'll read through verse 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Who is the Son? Well, we can't take the Son from the Father because the Son has always been with the Father. The Son is the Father. We see here that this, we see, and Jesus tells us that the Son is the way to the Father. He is the truth. He is the life. In Colossians, we read, he is the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created for him and through him. You now, who is Jesus? He's a lot more than just some great moral teacher. He has been in existence, and he always will be in existence, that he and the Father are together in unity and they had a great plan for us. Again, this, this whole um, the sin of Adam, this, this problem of the nature of humankind, this unity in Adam that we face, God had a plan for that from the beginning. And his plan was by making peace by the blood of his cross. And we see that true life comes from the Father through the Son. We can't separate them. You know, we can't take the Father, we can't take just the Son, but they come together. And they come and make a way for us that we would be with him. That by his blood we cover over all of our sin. The sin that is legally ours and that is genetically ours. And the sin that is personally ours. That that would be done away with by the blood of his cross. That he who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son does not have life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father, maybe some of us admit in this room today that, that we try to do one of these two things with you. Or sometimes we just want to take your teachings and ignore your divinity. Other times we, we, we just want to ignore your teachings and believe in sort of this generic God that, that, that loves everybody. But, Father, we can't have one or the other. Father, Lord, you and the Father are, are one. It has been in your divine plan from all time that you would come, that you would live on this earth, Lord, that you would die on the cross for our sin, Lord, that you would be the way to the Father. Lord, there's no other way. Jesus, there's no way to God except through you. Lord, help us to believe that. Help us to understand the implications for our lives. Help us to respond when 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 we encounter people that that don't understand you. Lord, not that we would try to impress them with some technical jargon or just try to shove truth down their throats, but, but, but Father, that you would give us grace and truth to help to explain the love that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for us. We praise you and thank you for your glorious plan for who you are. We pray in Christ's name, amen.